Everybody's a dreamer. Everybody's a star. Everybody's in showbiz. It doesn't matter who you are. There are stars in every city, in every house, and on every street. And if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard, their names are written in concrete. It's that time of year again. While we will not be strolling the streets of Hollywood Boulevard or Annapolis, we can get our pod together and enjoy 10 days of the 9th Annual Annapolis Film Festival. It is virtual this year, and we will be talking to the movers and shakers and those that make it all happen. The Annapolis Film Festival, April 8th through 18th. Tickets and more at annapolisfilmfestival.org. All the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard. Some that you recognize and that you We are here again with another highlight of the Annapolis Film Festival, and this time we are going to be talking with the director and one of the producers for End of the Line, The Women of Standing Rock. With us today on the phone is Shannon Kring, who is the director and one of the producers. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to give us a call and talk about your movie. And as we all know, this is a, I don't want to say history, but I mean, it's sort of still going on. But it really came to a boil back in like 2016, 2017, as the Dakota Access Pipeline was being built from the Dakotas down into, I think it was Illinois or Indiana. And it went through some Native American lands and they had had enough. That's that's the really short, short clip notes version, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> and you have produced a documentary on this, and this is about a group of women that really had had enough. They took the, took a stand and tried to stop this pipeline. Is how did you come into this? Well, this is actually the anniversary of when a group of just five women uh, started the protest on the shores of the Cannonball River. And um, it was just women who decided, like you said, enough is enough. Um, the $3.8 billion Dakota Access oil pipeline was originally announced back in 2014. And so they had started their work way back then, um, but no one listened really at first. And eventually the pipeline construction desecrated ancient burial and prayer sites. And that really upset them. And at that point, they put out the call. This was back in July 2016 um, when they said, you know, we need people to come here and join us. As they said that they already know their story, but the outside world doesn't. And so in order to affect social change, they welcomed people from around the world to come and join them. And very quickly, uh, the number went up to 10,000 people, um, though at its height, I guess it was about 14,000. It sure seemed like that out there. And uh, I headed out in the summer of 2016 um, just because I was covering, uh, I was actually in Honduras covering human rights violations there, similar topics. And um, I just kept getting emails from my parents back home saying, you know, you should really be covering this. And I thought, you know, that's right. I've been covering stories all around the world and never in my own backyard. And it's so important that people understand that not only is this horrible cultural genocide, and one could argue genocide, genocide, um, you know, it's been taking place in the U.S. for more than 525 years. 
uh, it's still going on today, as you saw in the film when we touched on additional topics such as forced sterilization, um, the boarding school atrocities, the foster care system abuses, and so on. And so I set out to Standing Rock to tell a balanced story of everyone's side. And what I realized after the first day of shooting is that all of the interviews but two were with women because it was actually women running the whole thing. And that's because women are known as the protectors and guardians of the water because they carry life inside of their bodies in water. And so that is their role within their society. And that's how I became embedded with the female leadership. And I actually followed them for two and a half years. These guys are the Sioux, correct? And, Correct. And, and, so there were more than 325 uh, Native nations that joined them out there. Right. But now, did these guys accept you in here? I mean, I'm I'm going to I'll go out on a limb because I don't know you. We're not talking face to face, but I'm, I'm going to presume that you are not Native American. Correct. How, um, how was the acceptance? I mean, were they just looking for exposure that they could have or I mean, was it difficult getting into that? They were very guarded at first. Uh, my co-producer, Pearl Daniel Means, is Diné and is very close with the Standing Rock Sioux tribe because her husband, um, the late Russell Means, the American Indian activist and actor, um, he was very active on that reservation, which was the next reservation over from his Pine Ridge Reservation. And so she was known by them. And I knew Pearl by that point when we started for about five years, I guess. I, I conducted Russell Means' last interview at the end of his life, which was a huge honor for me. And because Russell trusted me and Pearl trusted me, the women were at least willing to let me in a bit at first. But I had to earn that trust. Obviously, I, you know, I look like people who have been doing horrible things to their people for generations. And so I really took it as a huge honor and responsibility to do right by them and to ask them, what story do you want to tell or stories? Who do you want to speak and take it from there? And, and that trust is really something that I think a lot of filmmakers overlook and to me is the single most important component because in a film like this, uh, they let me into their intimate, intimate lives, their marriages, their home life, their, you know, um, assaults that they encountered out at the protests, etc. So it was really delicate subject matter. Yeah, I'm sure that you probably, you know, over the several years, you probably got involved in pretty much everything. I mean, you're just sort of like that, that woman standing in the, you know, in the back with the film crew trying to, you know, witnessing you know, the strifes of just family life. So, okay, so we're going to fight about what we're going to have for dinner tonight. You know, whatever this, whatever minutia of the life as well as the, the deep, dark things that are going on there as well. You know, that must have been such a, a tough thing for you to get into and also actually very rewarding when they do do that. And, and I, I totally see that. It's like, okay, a big moving company comes in, makes the movie, they make their millions of dollars and off they go and we never hear from them again. And you hear that story in any number of different things. Yeah, they're going to come in. You hear it in mass shootings. You know, the media comes in, makes a big deal out of it, and everybody forgets about it and moves on. Have you stayed involved and connected with with the tribes? I have. I have with a number of them, and specifically the women in the film. I speak to at least one of them, but usually more every single day. We're in constant contact, and they were involved in every facet of the making of this film. It was really important for me, as I mentioned, that that the women get to tell their story because – 
they've had words put in their mouth for many, many years. And, um, you know, we had woman, one woman in the film who she's had 14 crews following her family and her throughout her life. Not one of those films ever even came out. And so from the beginning, though, I had no idea how I, I was determined that the world was going to see their story. And I'm so thrilled that finally they are. That's fantastic. You speak with them daily. Now, this obviously this film has has wrapped. It's in the can, as they say, uh, because it is showing at the Annapolis Film Festival. And this will be available on April 10th, which is Saturday at noon. And it will be available for a limited time. So it'll be through April 15th at noon. So you've got about was that four days, five days? My math is off, but a couple of days there to be able to watch this. And you can get your tickets and passes. I recommend passes at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. Um, and we are speaking with Shannon Kring, who is the producer and director of End of the Line, The Women of Standing Rock. This is a documentary. It's not embellished or anything like this. This is a real deal about these women and these Native Americans who took a stand on the Dakota Access Pipeline that was coming through their land. Um, now, this is still today going on, correct? It is. In fact, the next uh, court hearing is on April 9th. Uh, why they were upset, among many reasons, why they were upset. But one of the main reasons was that there was never an environmental impact survey done on this land. 18 million people rely on the Missouri River as their water source. So it's not just natives, it's many people. And um, they never did the survey that was required, actually. Um, when Trump came into power, he had signed this as one of his very first acts to push the pipeline through. And so they are still battling it out in the court system, trying to get this um, impact study completed. And they want the pipeline shut down in the interim. So they continue their fight in the courtrooms. They also continue it on the front lines of the fossil fuel divestment movement. These women are traveling around the world, speaking with banks, with government leaders about getting their countries, their organizations to pull money out of um, fossil fuel projects. And they've been successful. It's amazing, actually. Um, they're part of a growing coalition that has already gotten more than $12 trillion divested from fossil fuel projects. And that's something just amazing to me. That's nothing to sneeze about. And I know and I, and I don't know whether these women had anything to do with it. But I know my daughter graduated from American University in D.C. And in the last two years of her time there, uh, there was a big push by the students on the administration to absolutely divest of fossil fuel. And and, and it successfully worked. So hopefully – you know, it it is working, and that's a huge thing there. You know a lot more about this than I do. I mean, this pipeline actually started under President Obama, and it actually started to construct under Obama, and then he stopped it at one point, right? Yes, it's actually um, – there have been a few rulings that, you know, were celebrations by all but the veteran activist leaders who understood that this has happened many times where it looked like things were going to go in their favor and then didn't. But, yes – there have been a number of false alarms, so to speak, that, hey, this is really going to be stopped. Um, you know, they're hopeful right now that that it actually will get stopped uh, pending, you know, this review. But as of right now, there are 570,000 gallons um, or sorry, barrels of oil being passed through the pipeline daily. Um, it did leak within its first five days of operation. It was a small leak. Um, but, you know, they're just watching it and they say it's just a matter of time 
you know, before something does happen to their water supply. And so they take this very seriously. Well, you talk about a small leak and there is no such thing as a small leak when you're talking about, about this. I mean, this is something that you look at super fun sites and everything else. I mean, you could get, you know, I mean, we're here on the Chesapeake Bay and just a small leak out of a fuel tank is a big problem. And, you know, this is in groundwater. This is that water is flowing through that's giving, as you said, giving life to the people of this land. And actually, it's pretty timely when you look at what's happening down outside of, I believe it's Tampa or Sarasota right now. There's a pond that's leaking uh, some kind of contaminated water and they've been evacuating neighbors. So, I mean, this is something that really needs to be done. And, And you said that they hadn't done the environmental impact study, but I don't believe they also did or they should have done anyhow, a cultural impact study because, you know, the you know, Ameri- the Native Americans are, you know, a totally different, I hate to use the word, but a totally different breed. But I mean, they've got a whole bunch of, you know, they're protected. They, you know, we've, we've taken their land since day one that we've been here. And this is some of the little remaining land that they have in the grander scheme of things here. And, and we're ripping right through it. And I do remember when that leak happened, that was like in 2017 and when they opened it up and it was a... Oh, geez, somebody forgot to turn the valve off or whatever it was. You know, I, and it was, I was like, wow. I mean, if it can fail in that short a time, what's it going to be like 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now as the infrastructure starts to age? You know, the, That's wi- their the, concern. the women are going to be, the women that are fighting this today um, are not going to be around in 50 years to fight this. Okay. It's going to be their children and their gen- grandchildren and maybe their great grandchildren um, that hopefully they'll still be able to be there on the land. Yes, absolutely. And this this, this fight in itself was multi-generational. Two of my lead characters, Phyllis Young, who's a, a veteran activist, and her daughter, Washtewe Young, play a pivotal role in the film. And Washtewe, the daughter, she actually didn't want any part of being an activist or being any sort of spokesperson. And I think that's what's especially fascinating about this film is that when their population exceeded you know, 10,000, 14,000, whatever that number truly was, they unwittingly found themselves the leaders of a global movement. And Washtewe's life changed so much at that point. And it forever changed her. She's now in her last semester of law school. Um, You know, she completely changed her life course and now wants to represent her people in the court system. And she'll just be fantastic at that. And so it is a a multi-generational fight. Um, the people who were in the film actually were aged five on up until I think 87 was our oldest um, interview subject. And so this is something that, as Phyllis Young says in the film, you know, I'm born for this and it's my responsibility to leave my mark. And they are Sitting Bull's people. These, these people are the descendants of Sitting Bull. And so they have many, many years of precedence of taking a stand against injustice such as this. It's so cool when you see young people go from a, come on, mom, it's not going to do any good Mm -hmm. to pardon my language, but holy shit, we're making a difference. And right, right. And you could see that during this fight, certainly when the press finally did start coming out and, and, uh, you know, we had videos, we would make video shorts um, in order to raise funds to continue making the film. And some of our videos would get, you know, eight, nine million views. And so it was incredible. And the role of social media in all of this cannot be overlooked. And um, without that, I wouldn't have learned what was happening. And nor would so many people. The hashtag did it. 
the numbers you talk about, I mean, with the 14,000, I mean, some of the numbers that came out of this whole thing were pretty staggering. I mean, there was one death, there were 300 injured and, you know, more than 500 arrested. And the way these folks were treated at the sites was abominable, is the only word to say. It I mean, it was really was. Um, this was not a, a group of people that were uh, being violent, that were destroying other people's property or anything like that. And this, um, you know, it's it's a story that needs to be told, and I think you've done it really well. I have had the chance to see the trailer. I think that anybody should certainly go take a look at it on the trailer. You can find that at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. This had its film festival release in February, right? Yes, and since then we've gotten about welcome, 30 well, or welcome to co- over welcome 30 to COVID. Festivals. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the unfortunate part. You know, part of the the fun of all of this is when you get to see your subjects in front of the camera, when you get to see them on the red carpet. And I always held that vision of of seeing the women in their traditional Lakota ribbon skirts and all of that. Hopefully they'll get that experience before the end of our festival run. Um, but for now, we're doing a whole lot of Zooms, like every single day. <laughs> I've had enough of Zoom. So have I, to be honest, though, I am not complaining about getting to promote the film. In a way, it's wonderful because thousands of people are tuning in to watch this film. And even at the best of festivals, maybe 400 people would have seen it. So in that way, it is a blessing. I I definitely see that. I've seen that with some of the live performances like the opera and the uh, symphony and whatnot here. They've been able to go online and open them up to literally a world audience as opposed to a regional audience. So there is, I guess, a a bright side to this in some in something. So what's what is next for this film beyond the Annapolis Film Festival? Well, we have signed with a top distributor and um, we have been successful in the past two weeks of securing three U.S. broadcast licenses, which is huge for a film like this. Even getting one was a long shot, but we're going to be actually airing on three different networks with this film later this year. I can't say who yet because they have to announce before we do, but we're really excited about that. We're also starting to pick up European broadcasters. And, you know, that was our goal to get this seen all around the world. And I'm thrilled that people are responding the way they are. Every single day, we're getting hundreds of emails from people who are seeing it at film festivals. And it's just really heartwarming and exactly as we intended for it to be. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the movie. I'm looking through the um, list of people that have worked on this film, and I happen to notice that it is really heavily women. Yes. Yeah. Um, Was that on purpose? Yes, it was, because they were covering forced sterilization, sexual abuse that they suffered in their native boarding schools that they were shipped off to as little girls, and other really delicate subject matters. And so I felt that they would be more comfortable around women, and that was the case. Though our lead cinematographer was a man, um, he just has such empathy for them and is so caring and non-assuming, unassuming, I guess, um, that I, I decided that he would be the best fit to tell the story um, behind the camera on the lead camera. But our other camera people were women. And yes, a number of women, all of our lead producers are women. And, uh, you know, of our crowdfunders, we also had, uh, now we're nearing 1800 crowdfunders in, I think, 45 countries now who help make this film a reality. The bulk of those, I think 70 some percent last I checked, 
were women. And so it's really interesting to have a film that has women both behind and in front of the cameras. It has worked to our disadvantage in many areas. We had one leading film festival who said, yeah, but you're going to need an A-list male <laughs> to vouch for you. Those were his words, vouch. Um, Are you, you kidding so me? Still in, not kidding. And I, I'd love to say which festival, but let's just say it's one of the world's big ones. And, um, you know, that was the sentiment there. Uh, a broadcaster said to me, you know, I think this is excellent. It's one of the most beautiful, beautifully shot and edited stories I've ever seen, but I don't think people are ready to see crying women on the screen. I mean, I heard so many ignorant things like this throughout the making, and that's why it's all the sweeter when we get the feedback that we do from people who see this, that you know, they want to hear this story, and it's really important for people to learn what's happened. And also, I think it's fascinating to watch the rise of Indigenous and feminine power in the areas of social and environmental justice. That is a trend worldwide, and I hope we see many more films like this in the years to come, and that they actually get broadcast. I think you're seeing an awful lot of them that are coming there, and I do believe just in the way our political tensions in the world today, there's there's no shortage of topics. There's no shortage of you know issues that you can, you can take a look at. And, and you said crowdfunding. Is that how films are mostly done now? Crowdfunding? I mean, you don't have... People try it, and, and they often don't have the success that one would hope because there are, I think on Indiegogo, there were like a couple thousand films when we put up our page and you just have to be good at fundraising. You have to be willing to, you know, knock on doors and send a whole lot of emails and you have to have thick skin and just know that you're going to hear a whole lot of no's on the way to every yes. And for us, we were really successful. We hit our goals, actually exceeded them. And then the bulk of our money came from grant writing, um, which, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of experience in grant writing, but you become good at it really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I was actually raising funds as we went. In fact, my very first shoot as I was getting on the airplane um, to go to Standing Rock, I didn't even have the money to pay the camera person to pay for the rental car. And I just thought by the time I land, hopefully those emails that I sent out will result in some funds. And by the time I landed, I had enough for the camera person and the car and the hotel. And really it was day to day. And, um, you know, that added a whole other aspect to this because we knew we were not going to get big media involved, um, which I'm not so sure we would have, even if someone would have come along at that point, just because we wanted the story to be told with utmost integrity. And you don't always get that when you're working with people who are beholden to shareholders and to advertisers. Gone are the days where, you know, Samuel Goldwyn would say, hey, let's throw $15 million to these guys and see what they come up with. Those Those days are I guess, few and far between anymore in the movie business. Very much so. The whole structure has changed with finances and everyone is having to get very creative, especially right now, because everyone really pulled back when they're laying off at these, um, you know, at the broadcaster level or um, the agencies, et cetera. You know, when they're laying off 60% of their staff, they're not thinking about investing in a film that maybe or maybe won't resonate with audiences. So that's why we see year after year a lot of the same remakes and superhero movies, et cetera, because those are not big risks. They're not risks at all, in fact. And films such as this, independent films, 
um, you know, we have a we have a whole different uh, dynamic that we have to try to work within. Well, I've heard there's a lot of animation that's come out this year uh, because of COVID, and 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 this, you guys had filmed your film and I guess you know put it all together prior to COVID. I mean, you were ready to go out the gate, and you did get out the gate, and then and they sent you back to the barn. You know, just deciding when we would come out, um, you know, we held it for months and months um, because, you know, everyone was wondering, OK, our festival is going to, you know, go back in person. And of course, that's the experience everyone wants. You want to get the feedback and you want to be in the audience hearing and seeing people watch it for the first time. Um, and also broadcasters put a hold on everything. And so really it just sat for months. And I'm so glad that people find it so timely. And, you know, most surprisingly, it actually is right now, just considering the things that are happening in the world. It's it's still a very contemporary piece. And we're really, really glad that people are viewing it that way. Well, it is. It seems like it's part one of a story that is still evolving at this point. And we're talking about End of the Line, The Women of Standing Rock, which you can see at the Annapolis Film Festival, which you won't be actually at the Annapolis Film Festival. You'll be at home on your couch or your friend's couch or something like that. But it is available April 10th at noon through April 15th at noon. And you can get all that information, tickets and passes at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. We're on the phone with Director Shannon Kring, who is the director, producer of End of the Line, The Women of Standing Rock. You know, I am excited to see this. I think this is, again, a story that needs to be told. It still needs to be continued to be told because it is still unfolding at this point. Um, they've got oil running under their under their yard. I mean, I don't think any of us would want to have a pipeline running under our homes with the risk of it breaking up and I mean, I know it's bad enough to think that I've got a sewage pipe running out of my house that might break and back up, much less oil. I am really upset that this is not in person because this would be some. I would love to meet you and love to hear some of your past, you know, human rights and your social justice issues and, and a little bit more about what was involved in bringing this movie to film. What else is on your plate? What else have you got in your in your bucket to look at in the future? I've got a couple of projects in pre-production right now where I've shot pilots, for instance, but I'm still really focusing on this film right now. I don't feel that it's yet at a point where I can pull my attention. I'm putting the bulk of my energy in getting this film out and um, talking to European broadcasters now that we've got the U.S. set. Um, and Asia and really just trying to get it seen. We're actually uh, right now also starting to raise money for an impact marketing campaign because our goal with this film was always to affect social change and to try to work with legislators, etc., people who can actually get things done and show them and open up discussions with them and to get this in the school system. And so we want to make educational you know, teacher guides and um, really get this out there. And so we are now starting, like I said, a new, a new uh, raise of funds to try to get that to happen. And uh, we're going to be working hard on that. And so this will still be my focus for a while now. You know what I love? I love that this is a film that has been made, it's done, it's out, and you're not done. I mean, I get that you want to no. want to do it, but I mean, there, there's something a little bit deeper, I believe, that is in you than just this film. And I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much. 
Again, Shannon Kring, the director and producer for End of the Line, The Women of Standing Rock. You can watch it at the Annapolis Film Festival, which is virtual this year at annapolisfilmfestival.org. This film will be available April 10th at noon through April 15th at noon. It is a limited time, so you can watch it anytime in between there. I highly recommend you do this. This is something that it's perhaps one of the most emotional films at the festival this year that I've seen. And I'm looking forward to seeing the full 87 minutes of it. And I thank you again very much for your time this afternoon. And I really wish that we could meet here, but perhaps we'll be back with another film in 2022. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Everybody's a dreamer. Everybody's a star. Everybody's in showbiz. It doesn't matter who you are. There are stars in every city, in every house and on every street. And if you walk down Hollywood Boulevard, their names are written in concrete. Don't step on Greta Garbo as you walk down the boulevard. She looks so weak and fragile, that's why she tried to be so hard. But they turned her into a princess And they sat her on a throne But she turned her back on stardom Because she wanted to be alone You can see all the stars As you walk down Hollywood Boulevard Some that you recognize And that you hardly even heard of And struggled for fame Some who succeeded And some who suffered in vain Rudolph Valentino Looks very much alive And he looks up ladies' dresses As they sadly pass him by But please don't tread on dearest Marilyn She's not very tough She should have been made of iron or steel But she was only made of flesh and blood You can see all the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard Some that you recognize and that you hardly More than 100 films from documentaries to features to shorts. Those made in Malta to those made in Maryland. The Annapolis Film Festival has something for everyone. Passes and tickets available now at annapolisfilmfestival.org. Never feel any pain. And celluloid heroes never 